Father, we give you thanks for everything that you provide for us. And Lord, we've returned just a small token of that this morning, and we pray that you would use it as according to your will and for Jesus' sake. And Lord, we read in your word that you tell us to be still and to know that you are God. And so, Lord, as we now turn to the Bible um, to hear what you have to say to us, Lord, would you help us to be still, to hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, we trust that you will send your spirit and speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to turn now to, uh, to the Bible, um, to Psalm 34. It's on page 561, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, page 561. And this is a really interesting psalm. Um, David writes it, and he writes it in the context where he's fleeing from King Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. Um, and in running away, David falls into the hands of another king, Abimelech. David is in dire straits, and he prays to God. We read that elsewhere. And basically, he decides to pretend to be mad. And Abimelech says, we read in in 1 Samuel, look at the man, he's insane, why bring him to me? And and so he lets him go. And David sees this as an answer to prayer. And so as we think about prayer this morning, um, we're going to look about what he says about all this in Psalm 34. So let's read it together. Psalm 34 of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. 
Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are. 2020 is here. Can you believe it? Somebody said uh, to me earlier in the week that we're now as close to 2050 as we are to 1990. That is pretty scary. I was born in 1990. That's why it's scary for me. But what will the new year bring for you or me? What will it bring for us as a church family? We don't know and we can't possibly know. But it's here. It's the 5th of January 2020. I wonder, did you make any resolutions this year? Is this the year when you're going to get into shape? Maybe you haven't gone that far, but maybe you've decided that this year you're going to cut down on the sweet stuff or something like that. Are you going to make an effort to read more? Will you try to make more time for certain people in your life? Are you going to catch up with somebody you haven't seen for ages? Maybe you think it's time to bury the hatchet and restore a relationship with somebody. It won't surprise you, but according to a U.S. News and World Report, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail. I'm only surprised it's not higher than that. According to the same report, that these resolutions have officially failed by the middle of February. And again, it wouldn't surprise us if the date was even earlier than that. How are you doing this morning with your resolutions on the 5th of January? We find it really hard at times, don't we? We find it hard to break old habits, and we find it difficult to make new habits. And I think if you ask most Christians if they had any desires for the new year in their relationship with God, they would probably say that they want to grow in their relationship. They'd probably want to pray more, to read the Bible more, and have more of an understanding of it, get more out of church simply by being in a better place in their relationship with God. And whether you're at the stage of just interested in becoming a Christian, or you're a new Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, we all know that these things are difficult. And that's why at the beginning of this new year, we're going to do this little series for a few weeks, New Year, Old Habits. Now, that title might not actually be right for everybody, but you can ask Marty about that. For some of us, maybe, maybe it is right. Maybe we used to pray more, we used to read the Bible more, and we want to capture, recapture those old habits because the words in prayer are hard to put together and somehow the Bible has become difficult to read. But maybe for you, this series should be called New Year, New Habits, maybe because you're a new Christian or maybe even you've been a Christian for a while, but you've never actually managed to establish these kinds of habits before. So that's why in these first few weeks, we want to look at these things And we want to look at what the Bible has to say about them, and we want to think practically about it as well. We want to look at why they're important, of course, but we want to focus on how we do them, how we get into these habits, whether they're new habits or old habits that have been lost somewhere along the way. And it falls to me this morning to talk about prayer. And as I was preparing this week, I was reading a book on prayer by a guy called Richard Foster. It's a a useful book. But in his introduction, he says that for a long time, he wanted to write a book about prayer, but he didn't feel ready. He felt inadequate. And when he did finally decide to write it, he still felt inadequate. He didn't think he was up for the task. 
And I have to say this morning, I feel his pain as I stand here and want to talk about prayer. I really don't feel like I'm up to it. I'm unqualified and inadequate. But having said that, God wants unqualified people to pray to him. God actually wants unqualified people to pray to him. In the Bible, we're invited time and time again to pray. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Remember that prayer that he taught us to say? We prayed it earlier. What are the first two words? Our Father. He didn't just say, Father. Well, that's who God is. He's the Father of the universe. He's the creator, the Father of the world. Those things are true, but Jesus didn't say that. He also didn't say, My Father. And he could quite well have said that because Jesus is the Son of God. He could have prayed to his Father, and that's true, but he didn't say that either. He said, Our Father. He said that in the midst of a bunch of pretty imperfect people. He could talk to his Father anytime he wanted. He had direct access to the throne of God with his prayers, and so do we. We always pray in Jesus' name, and one of the reasons we do that is because he has that access, and we pray in his name, we have that access too, because he is our Father in Jesus. And so, in teaching us to to pray in that way, Jesus invites us to pray. It's the most amazing thing, and in fact, it's a little bit crazy that he would do that. Why would the Father of the universe want us to pray to him? But he does it over and over again. In Second Chronicles 7, he said, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Because of what Jesus has done in forgiving our sins, it says in Hebrews 4.16 that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we might be unqualified to pray. We probably are, but we can pray, and we are invited to. So I have two big questions this morning to ask. One is, is why? Why should we pray? Why should we make a habit of prayer? Why should we work at building this into our lives? And then secondly, the practical question, how do we do it? How do we start? So, why? Why should we make a new habit or bring back an old one of prayer? Well, one of the amazing things about prayer is that it points us to God and how amazing He is. Prayer points us to God and reminds us how amazing He is. But why is that important? Well, it's important because we live in a world that encourages us to be self-centered, doesn't it? Look after yourself and your own interests. Cut off those toxic relationships that are holding you back. But this kind of thinking can actually stop us from praying because so many of us look at our own lives and all we see is our sin, if we're honest. And so somewhere within us, we think we're not good enough to talk to God. We think if we sorted those things out first, then maybe we might be the sort of people who could pray to God. But prayer can blow that kind of thinking away because it doesn't point us to ourselves, but it points us to God. We read a few moments ago from Psalm 34, words of David after he pretended to be mad to get away from King Abimelech. And in the midst of this psalm, this prayer, as Jesus tells about how he called out to God and how God answered, he says that in verse 4, 
all the time he's being pointed towards the goodness of God. This is what he says. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Words of praise. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David has been praying, as I say, he, he says that he sought the Lord and the Lord has answered. So he has been praying. And as he's been doing that, he's been pointed to how amazing God is. He praises him. He encourages us to join in and glorify God with him. He encourages us all to see for ourselves, to taste and see, he says, that the Lord is good. And he says he boasts in the Lord. And that might seem like a a funny thing to say, but that word boast that is used there, it's the same Hebrew word that we get the word hallelujah from, which just means praise the Lord. Our souls hallelujah to the Lord. He's so happy. He wants to, to praise so much and he wants others to know about it. So he boasts in it. Wouldn't it be great to be somebody who's so in tune with God, to be so brimming with praise that it just spills out, that you have to tell everyone you know about him? Well, it can happen. And at least part of how it happens is by prayer, spending time with God. When we spend time with God, when we read the Bible and when we pray, we believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in us and the Spirit points us to God. This is a work of the Spirit. I can't explain how it happens. It's absolutely supernatural. But I do know that by spending time in prayer, when we spend time with God himself and we get to know him better, then we grow in our faith and our knowledge of him. So prayer draws us into God's presence and it causes us to look away from ourselves and grow in our faith and know him more. And that's one reason why we pray not because of what we get out of it, although we may well get a lot out of it. David was clearly very, very happy after praying, but we pray because we see something of how amazing our God is. And we also pray because we can trust God to hear us and answer. We pray because we trust God to hear us and answer. David says, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. One of the things that prayer does is it doesn't just point us to how amazing God is, but it actually reminds us that prayer really works. Somebody has said, By asking God for help, we are reminding our hearts that God can be trusted. By asking God for help, we are reminding our hearts that God can be trusted. Isn't it great when you see a prayer really obviously answered? Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've prayed that somebody would come to faith, and they have. Maybe you pray for a specific situation in your life, and God answers wonderfully. I know that there have been people in this church praying for years and years that God would do a work here. And I know that when you didn't have a minister and it didn't look like you were going to have a minister, 
you prayed and God answered, and not only is Marty here, but you have a team of people here now. It's crazy. It's amazing. It shouldn't have happened. And when we pray, we remind ourselves of that. We remind ourselves how amazing God is and how trustworthy He is and how effective prayer is. Prayer actually leads us to want to pray more. So if you want to pray more, well, just get started. When you start praying, you will want to pray more. You would be forgiven, though, looking at Psalm 34 on its own for wondering if David really is looking through all this with sort of rose-tinted glasses, because he seems to say that God will just do whatever we want. He'll just save us from all our troubles. He says in verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. So it might look like David is saying that God will just always answer all our prayers the way we want and life will just be wonderful and all our troubles will fly away. But that's not really the case. We know that it's not really the case if we've been a Christian for any amount of time. But David can say this because he has just been saved from all his troubles. He was at the mercy of Abimelech and he survived. Not one of his bones was broken. And that's why David is saying this. But do you notice what he says at the start of verse 19? A righteous man may have many troubles. A righteous man may have many troubles. David is fully aware that God's people will not always have a straightforward life. He's not out of the woods himself. King Saul is still pursuing him. King Saul at this stage still wants to kill him. David's got a target on his back. But in the midst of all this trouble, he can see how God is working and how God is protecting and showing him love. And it is the same way with us because the world will throw many, many things at us. Maybe you're in the midst this morning of sadness or a hardship of some kind, bereavement. Maybe it's stress, really tough times. But in all of that, we have prayer. And we have confidence that we're praying to a God who has overcome all of these things in Jesus and what he has done for us. We thought about that at Christmas time, didn't we? How he, how he came down to earth so that we could know him and have new life with him in a world without all of these things. And prayer is part of the way that God works in us to point us to that new world where these things, these sufferings don't exist. And so we know something of that new life even as we pray. We still have to live in this world, but we live with hope, a certain hope of something better. So, a bit of a whistle-stop tour, but we pray because it points us to how amazing God is and because we can trust God to hear and answer, and it points us to the new life we have in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. So, we've thought a bit about why we pray, but how do we do it? How do you form these habits? I'm not so much thinking about what we say, although that is important, but how do we actually become prayerful people? How do you become a person who manages to have a regular time of prayer in your life, in your day? How do you build up that habit? Maybe your life is busy 
and prayer just seems like another thing to add into a schedule which is already bursting full. On a Sunday, you can come to church, and, and that's all great, and you have such good intentions. Maybe even at the start of the new year, you have really, really good intentions about this. But you know that when the rubber hits the road, it's going to be tough. You're going to be running around after the kids. One of them's going to be sick through the night. You're not going to get much sleep. You're going to muddle your way through work, and you're going to come home, and you're going to be tired. Maybe you don't have kids, but maybe work is just so stressful. You know when you go back tomorrow, there's going to be such a huge amount to do. You know you're going to have an email from him, whoever he is, and you know it's just going to cause you pain for the rest of the day. Maybe you don't enjoy where you work at the minute. Maybe your family's under some kind of strain. Maybe it's financial strain, or maybe the family's broken up. Maybe you're suffering or stressed, or anxious about something. Maybe you're struggling with your mental health right now, or even your physical health. And these things are just all in the mix, and it's hard to pray. So how do we combat it? Whether it's just busyness or whether it's something else, how do we get into a habit of prayer? And I think the first thing we have to realize in in building these habits is that we don't have to get it all right first go. It's a strange thing, isn't it? We all want to pray more, but somehow we seem to run away from it. We're not sure why that is. Of course, busyness is part of it, but busyness doesn't generally prevent us from doing the things that we really want to do, like eating or sleeping. It might disturb those things, but it generally doesn't stop us from doing them. The root of the problem, I think, is not busyness, but the fact that we think we have to get it all right. We have this vision of a prayer life where everything's amazing and we feel really close to God all of the time and and we have this fuzzy feeling or something, this really amazing spiritual experience and we just don't think we know how to get there and we don't think we have the time to get there so we just don't pray. We think we have to get it all right and we have to have this amazing prayer experience so we fear away from that. We fall away from that. But that's not what prayer is often actually like. It it can be like that. It can be that in times of prayer, we have amazing experiences where we know the presence of God. But it's not always like that, and that's okay. If you wanted to climb Mount Everest, I'm not sure how many of you want to climb Mount Everest. I certainly don't. But if you wanted to climb Everest, you wouldn't just go to Everest and start walking up the hill you'd have to start small. You'd have to climb smaller mountains. You'd have to work your way up and and train and research. You'd have to prepare yourself for the difference in breathing at different altitudes. And even if you managed it, at the end of your life, you might look back to that time when you climbed Everest. But even though you managed it, Along the way, you actually probably walked and climbed on many more hills and mountains that were much smaller than Everest. You might have done it once, but in terms of numbers, the times you actually did something smaller were much, much greater. And it's a bit like that with prayer. You might have wonderful experiences in prayer. You might really be pointed to the amazingness of God and His faithfulness at a particular moment. You might see a moment where God dramatically answers prayer, but often prayer isn't like that. Even though it's a wonderful and a spiritual activity, it's also a normal activity. 
So we don't need to live in, in fear of getting it right. We don't have to live in a place where we don't think we can achieve what we need to to pray. One commentator has put it like this. For too long, we've been in a far country, far from God, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation of prayer. But God welcomes us home, home to peace and joy, to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. We do not need to be shy. He invites us into the living room of his heart where we can put on old slippers and share freely. He invites us into the kitchen of his friendships where chatter and batter mix in good fun. He invites us into the dining room of his strength where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom where we can learn and grow and stretch and ask all the questions we want. It's also the place of deepest intimacy where we know and are known to the fullest. That might be a funny way of putting it. But it's true. We can come as we are. It's like going into a friend's house. We can chat. In other words, just get going. It really is as simple as that. We can talk to God. Somebody has said it like this. Pray as you can, not as you can't. If you can't manage these lofty or long or prayers that sound like they're theologically fancy, then don't pray like that. Just pray as you can. In the same way that a a young child brings a picture to their parent and their parent has absolutely no idea what it's meant to be, and you say, oh, what's that? Because you've no idea what it is. But you accept it because it's from your child. In the same way, we can't offer a, a bad or a wrong prayer to God. He wants to hear for us. So we don't need to worry about proper praying. We just need to talk. Share your hurts and your sorrows, your joys, freely and openly. God will listen in compassion and love, just as we do when our children come to us. He delights in our presence, and we delight in his. And when we do this, we'll discover something. Not only in by praying will we want to pray more, But by praying, we actually learn to pray. As we pray, we get to know God more, and so we want to pray more. But in doing this as well, we learn to pray, and that's even when we pray on our own as well as when we pray with other people. So prayer is for everyone, not just the people who seem to have it all worked out. Prayer is for everyone. So we have to realize that in building our habit of prayer, we don't have to have it all right, but we actually need to get to the work of making it a habit. I prayed earlier, and, and, and I used the words from Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. It's a little phrase and a little verse that we hear from time to time. I think I have it on a bookmark somewhere, and, and, and it's a nice little verse, and we tend to think of it as some sort of call to just be quiet and to be still and, and to meditate and, and just to be really calm in God's presence. But that's not actually the context of Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, we hear about mountain shaking and about wars and about turmoil. And a world where God is coming to to shatter the spear and to end wars. 
It's not a still and soothing statement. It's a dramatic one. With all this noise going on, with all this war and clamor, God steps in and says, be quiet, be still. I am God. Not you, not any of you. I am God. Jesus shouted these words to the wind and waves when he calmed the storm. He said, quiet, be still. And those words, be still, are the same words exactly that are used in Psalm 46. And I think if we want to know God more through prayer, then we need to hear these words, and we need to hear them shouted at us, stop, be still, I am God. Through all the busyness and noise of our lives, be quiet, be still. With everything that goes on in our lives, and lots of them are great, but they are not God. Be still and know that I am God, not those things. And so we need to think carefully about all of the things that we do that stop us from praying and realize that prayer is more important than those things. And there are a number of things we can do, baby steps that can help us on the way. One step we can take is just to be honest about our own current habits. Maybe you could take 10 minutes even this afternoon just to sit down and write out what a typical day looks like for you. Don't over-spiritualize the experience. Don't feel guilty about the lack of prayer and Bible in there. Just be honest and just write it down. What do I actually do on a typical day? And once you've done that, you need to think about what the cost might be in terms of building new habits. Because you can't just add in prayer on top of everything else. Those things need to be still. We need to recognize that they're not God. God is. One of the reasons why those 80% or whatever it was of resolutions fail is because we don't do this. We just try to add exercise into our schedule on top of everything else. We don't take anything out. And we're busy already, so it lasts for a few weeks and then it just dies out. Because we were already at capacity and we tried to add something in and it didn't work. And it's like that with prayer. If you are genuinely too busy to pray, then you are too busy. The new habit won't come easily. It won't be free. Because new habits that really matter don't just typically sit alongside other ones. They must displace old habits. Somebody has said that the key lies not in breaking a habit through willpower, but in replacing one habit with another one. We need to ask ourselves, how can I find time to pray? What needs to wait until later in the day? Or what needs to go away altogether to make space for what is more important? Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that you don't show up for work because you're praying or that, you know, you don't spend any time with your family. But we need to be honest. We need to be honest about the amount of time we spend watching TV or on social media or doing things that just aren't as important as prayer. For some people, that might mean getting up early in the morning. That would not work for me, but I know it would work for some people. I'm not a morning person. That's what Jesus did. He got up early and he took himself off to a quiet place to pray. But would it really not work for me or would it just be a bit inconvenient? We need to ask ourselves these hard questions. But whatever it is for us, we need to be still to stop meaningless things and prioritize prayer. It won't be easy. It will not be easy. 
But forming new habits never is, and especially new habits that the evil one does not like. Once you've maybe identified those things in your life that that need to move, that need to change, it's a good idea to, to make concrete plans against them. Create friction between the bad habits of checking email or getting sidetracked in texts or notifications or turning on the TV. Take the TV remote to the other end of the house or something so you're not tempted to to put it on. Make these things inconvenient. Take steps to remove them from yourself and whatever is keeping you from the Bible. It's also a good idea to do it the other way around, to actually try and make prayer appealing to yourself. Don't pray in a room with an uncomfortable chair and poor light and just a place where you do not want to be. Because that will make prayer seem unappealing. It'll make it seem like a chore. Now, don't get yourself a chair so comfortable that you're going to fall asleep either. But find somewhere that you actually want to be. If you want silence, fine. If if you want some nice music on in the background, put it on. Treat yourself within reason. It's a good strong cup of tea for me. That's what I do. Really cement that habit of coming to God in prayer. Make it what you want it to be. And all of those little things, that they're obviously not the most important things because you can pray anywhere. But if you want to help yourself get to a place where you can enjoy God's goodness and enjoy Him and have a habit of prayer, don't make prayer unappealing for yourself. All of those things are not the main ingredients, as I say, but they can help. We cannot create a supernatural desire for prayer in ourselves. Only God can do that. It's God who gives the growth, as Paul said to the Corinthians. Only God can cause the gospel to bear fruit in our lives and really give us that hunger for prayer. So we need to ask him to do that. So let's pray together. Our Father, we do realize that it is a great privilege to come before you in prayer. We do thank you for that greatest gift that we celebrated at Christmas time, that you sent your Son into the world. Thank you that as he breathed his last on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Thank you that we can come before you then in prayer in his name, because he has paid the price for our sin and has brought it back to you. Our Lord, we know that you have made prayer possible but we recognize that we desperately need to learn to pray. Lord, we know if we're honest that we often do not want to pray. We are distracted. We can be stubborn. We are self-centered. And so we pray that you would work in us so that we would want to talk to you. Would you help us to get going so that we can know more of your goodness and your love so that prayer becomes both natural and something that we want to do more than the things that so often distract us. We pray that you would help us to look at our lives and our days through your eyes. Show us there are opportunities that there are to pray, both as individuals and as a church family. And Lord, as we look at our routines and our habits and our patterns, show us the things that are important and the things that aren't. Show us the things that need to stay and the things that need to go. And help us to truly be still and know that you are God. We ask again that this new year would really be a year when we grow in our faith and know you better. And as we pray these things for ourselves, we do take a moment to pray for others. 
And so we bring before you in the quiet those who are on our hearts and our minds, and we leave them before your throne of grace. We bring all of these, our prayers to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.